continually make yourself uncomfortable, like put yourself in situations when you're the little fish where you're still learning, you're still growing. And someone said it, they said, yeah, you can be wrong 50% of the time and still make a fortune. And I really like that quote because it's like, just fail a bunch, just Trust just them. do it. Like stop, stop like dilly dallying and just go do it and learn in the process. Cause if you don't fail, you don't know what you need to learn or what comes next. This is the Paul Goff Audio Experience. Whether you call yourself a PT, a physical therapist, or a physiotherapist, and wherever you're listening to this right now, this is for you. It is me revealing everything I can to help make you a more successful business owner. Thanks for listening. It means the absolute world to me. All right, all right, all right. So here we are, um, another episode of the Physical Therapy Business School podcast. It is um, it's exciting to be here. Uh, we've got a very special guest today as well, all the way from California, and we're going to get into uh, what is, I believe, one of the, the best success stories of the uh, physical therapy community over the last five years, maybe it's 10, maybe it's longer. Uh, we've got Kevin Bandy with us and we're going to talk to Kevin very shortly. Competitive Edge PT, he's the founder of, Kev, uh, of Competitive Edge PT and Competitive Edge uh, Franchise. So we're going to talk about both of those um, success stories. Uh, but first, let me say hello. If you are listening live, it is great to see you. We've got people coming in on Facebook and we've got people on YouTube live. We've got people on LinkedIn live. I can see coming in as well. Um, feel free. It's very interactive. You can answer uh, I'll ask your questions and uh, myself and Kevin will do our best to answer them for you. Um, we're in England, or I'm in England. Kevin's eight hours behind in uh, San Francisco. And right now, there's not many days that I can say this, but it's probably hotter here than it is in most places in the United yeah. States. England is 100 degrees right now, and it is in meltdown. It is hilarious. We've had flights cancelled because the tarmac on the runway is melted. So quite literally, the runway is melted. Trains have stopped. Schools have stopped. Sports have stopped. Like, everything stopped except the Paul Goff enterprises we're all at work everybody else is in beer gardens and in the pub but um we're having the time of our lives but it is uh it is great to be here today and just a quick uh, mention as well obviously for people listening on the podcast um We've got a massive event. Speaking of heat, we're going to be in Orlando October 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th. Uh, head over to ppmlive2022.com. Um, don't miss this. Tickets are selling very, very quickly. I think we're past 70% capacity already um, for the main room. We're going to get 300 of you together. Uh, I know Kevin's going to be there. Uh, as are many of the top uh, most aspiring PT practice owners, um, not just in America, but in Canada, in the UK, in Ireland. Uh, where else have we got? Abu Dhabi, uh, Denmark, and uh, Spain coming over as well so far. So we're going to have a pretty cool, and Australia. Uh, we've got somebody coming over from Sydney. So hope to get one or two more over from Sydney. Damon John is live on stage, as is James Lawrence. James Lawrence, the toughest human on the planet, 50 triathletes, uh, 50 triathlons, 50 states, 50 days. And Damon John uh, just... For me, probably the, the, the best of the, the Sharks. I, I love Kevin O'Leary, but Damon is pretty cool. So um, head over to ppmlive22.com and uh, make sure you get your ticket. Right now is the cheapest time to get a ticket for the event. They go up. Uh, the prices go up uh, regularly. So head over to ppmlive22.com and register for your seat. And we'll see you in person. Everything's in person, as are the speakers live in Orlando. 
um, in October, where it will be probably just as hot as England. The only, do you know, it's funny. Um, everybody says to me, Kevin, it, it's all right for you. You'll be used to this. And I say, no, no, no. We have this thing called aircon in the United States, which <laughs> hasn't made its way to England yet. And um, this is the the freak once every ten year weather where nobody's ready for it, and um, we're all paying the price for. Uh, I must have drank five bottles of these water um it's on all the news over here that is it really London yeah. sweltering yeah 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 it is it's funny like you know, i mean i love england right you know i do i you know obviously i live i live in you know eight months of the air in orlando and i spend some of my time here in the summer and um i i love it i love it but we're just not ready for anything like anything that's extreme if we get extreme if we get snow country stops if we get extreme sun country stops because we don't get it regularly obviously nobody's ever prepared for it you know so it's um it's like when it, it rains in california the, correct <laughs> correct yeah you guys are just not ready for it the car crashes there's meltdowns there's yeah. um what is it i remember being in california about four or five years ago and andrew verton you know andrew a clinic owner in um uh, where is he? Uh, Elicio Viejo area, so just kind of north of um, north of San Diego. And he said to me, "Paul, drive carefully." Right? And I said, "Why?" He said, "There's a storm coming." And I was like, "Okay." So I was a bit naive to to kind of this, you know, this Californian storm thing, right? And I was like, "All right." So I'm driving along the freeway, and I'm thinking, "When's this storm coming?" I mean, my windscreen wipers were going a little bit, you know, kind of certainly not not full tilt, and. When I got to the clinic, he said, like, how, how was the weather? And I, and I said, well, what weather? He said, the rain, like the storm. I was like, what storm? I said, it, like, you know, it sprinkled, my, it sprinkled my windows a little. I said, but there wasn't really any, um, you know, any severe storm. And anyway, in his eyes, uh, that was a storm. And, he, you know, he said, did you notice <laughs> that the freeways were empty and nobody was out? And I was like, gee whiz, you know, these uh, these Californians that definitely got dead world uh, problems. No. Definitely got dead world problems. But no. Um, you guys, you guys get much bigger problems in these bloody earthquakes and various things that go on over there. I guess we all have our, uh, we you all have our correct. I was just going to say again. I always say this to the Brits: be very careful what you're whinging about because we have none of that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Anything that goes wrong here in England right now because of health is like it's in the stupid column. You're in places that you shouldn't be. Whereas obviously in certain parts of the world, doesn't matter where you are, it's like you know, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna do something, and you really don't have much choice if it uh, if it comes. So I do say that to the Brits that. Uh, we're very, very lucky that we don't have to worry about the hurricanes and earthquakes and all that, you know, uh, tornadoes and all that type of stuff. Just the two days of 100 degree heat that brings us all to meltdown. <laughs> but Brits being Brits, Kevin, we spend the other 363 days a year whinging about how cold it is. So, <laughs> yeah, my my uh, family does it on the East Coast, too. If it's like when it's not snowing, where's the snow? And the second it snows, there's too much snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. love it. So, Kevin, let's get into it. Obviously, you and I have known each other for, um, what, five maybe? Yeah, now four, five, uh, five years. A little longer, maybe, maybe, maybe six. six years, yeah. Thanks, God. Yeah, six years. It's been um, it's been fantastic. And what a journey as well. It's been a privilege to watch, uh, watch your growth. I remember the first call that we had where um, I think you were joining or signing up for the Accelerator Pro program whenever it was back then mm -hmm. you know you were just getting started just getting the business going and maybe it's like a low low six-figure revenue 150,000 200 whatever you'll have been um fast forward even uh, even less than that less. we had we had like twelve thousand dollars in the bank and i told my wife i'm going to sign on to this business program with this british guy she's like are you sure and i was like i gotta <laughs> take a shot somewhere I love it. I'm the I'm the last chance saloon. I've been a few people's last chance saloon, Kevin. <laughs> right time, right place. I think, I think I was Natalie's. 
<laughs> so I'll, I'll give it one more go. See what uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with this guy. But yeah, it really has. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to watch the growth of a hundred, you know, low six figure business right the way now to a seven figure all cash uh, business. Which um, I've never really looked at it because you know I never really wanted to kind of make that that big of a thing. But I I, I would if you pushed me, believe that you would be the first, certainly of the, you know, the, the clients that I've been able to sort of guide or just help mentor, whatever you want to call that have gone from, um, almost zero to a million, um, in cash, uh, business in, you know, in, in one year, if you like. So it's been quite the journey all the way from however many, uh, 40, 50, 60 hour work weeks, just you to mm-hmm. now a team of seven, eight people to a franchise. Uh, so successful was the private practice that we now have a franchise on the back of that. And people, um, from all over America interested in becoming the next competitive edge uh, PT. So it is um, quite the story and um, we're going to get into it and I'm very excited to yeah. um, to hear more about it. So tell me, tell me a little bit about it then. Tell me your journey. Tell me, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about your, your clinic, how you got started and, yeah. and um, you know, where we got this, uh, this idea from in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, uh, thanks for having me. This is fun. And um, thanks for the, the journey. You've definitely been a huge part of it and your team. And um, definitely without CEO and things, it wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't probably be where I'm at today. But, you know, the idea started, I worked as a, um, you know, standard PT in a, in a pretty busy practice. But then I ended up seeing Chris Powers talk, who uh, basically he ran a biomechanics lab down in Los Angeles. And my mind was blown to the fact that you could have this cool technology to practice force plates and 3D sensors and cool treadmills that measure forces. And for me, like my brain lit up and said, that sounds amazing. Like I can't imagine doing anything else. And so I came home and told my wife that we're going to start a practice and it's going to look like this. And she just said, sure. <laughs> you know, we had talked about owning a business for a while and she was like, this is the spark you needed. Like this is, a, you didn't want to open a standard practice. And so from there, traveled around the country, learned from different running biomechanics experts, uh, different like gate lab experts, uh, invested in the technology, messed it up a bunch of times, uh, figuring out how to make it from like lab, like recording technology and downloading data and making it so like clinical and, and data centric to making it client centric for a great experience. And that was really what, uh, you know, tipped the scales going forward was learning the systems, learning the marketing, uh, learning how to write direct, direct copy to, to clients, not going to doctors. Um, and really through the journey, it's just been a, a learning process of how to make that better and better and better for client experience and buy-in. And um, it's, been, it's been amazing and it's been a fun journey. But yeah, it started just from hearing him talk and realizing that there's a different way to do physical therapy, not just the standard you know, room in a gym. What... Um as you've got going now then, so we're six years in, best lessons so far, simple as that, as we've got started, what's your best lessons? Best lesson out the gate, I would say people, like the, the only way you're gonna scale and leverage is hiring the right people, and you have to have systems of what you're looking for, so culture fit, background, um, what they can do for your company, what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. Um, without a doubt, you can't get out of practice and grow a practice without having people and without having a mentorship leadership structure to grow those people um, to leverage them to be, you know, a team, you know, the synergy that a team has uh, is pretty impressive when you get the right people together. What's your biggest successes? You've been in business now six years. What do you, what do you think your biggest successes? 
biggest success is hammering out systems, you know, systems yep. to make things as efficient as possible, finance, marketing, sales, um, you know, having things written down, buttoned up. Uh, they're always changing, but uh, something that works and is successful that produces high quality leads, leads that are interested in booking, leads that end up booking out plans of care, share reviews. Uh, but that all comes from from systems. I think we've done a really good job with that. Yep. the team has. And then uh, we've done a great job of meeting rhythm, I would say. So quarterly meetings, annual meetings, weekly meetings, we have a pretty set structure of setting priorities, rocks, if you will, and having the right people handling the right problems is where we've had a lot of success. And, you know, kind of the idea that the score takes care of itself, like the, the cash will come in and you'll be successful if you get all the other things right. Let's go all the way back then. How did you get the, how did you get the courage, the, the kind of wherewithal to just, to just get this thing off the ground? Well, at the beginning, um, I had to because uh, I had ended my other job and <laughs> I needed to support four kids at the time. So it was sort of like the inspiration from desperation. Um, it was definitely something that I wasn't going to let myself fail. I wasn't going to uh, I wasn't going to, you know, make this huge investment and then not not follow through. And I had the support of my wife uh, in the process. She's as much a part of the business as anybody else in the company. She just doesn't come to work every day. Um, huge supporter. But from there, it was really uh, the tenacity to be around other people, particularly yep. in your group and seeing other people do it, that I saw them having success. And I saw yep. them, what they were able to do. And it's like, well, why can't I do the same thing? And so you set a plan, you stick to the plan, you hyper-focus, and you get things done over time. But the tenacity came is because I want to provide for my family. It's always been the goal of my business is to have time to be with them. And that's, that's enough of a why enough of a driver to get it going. I love it. And I think, um, I'm very much the same where if I can see it, I can do it. And a lot of belief. I think if you really focus in on that, there'll be people listening who are a little lost and not, you know, not really sure of the, 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 the direction that they want to go in. They kind of have a vague idea of the outcome that they want. And really what I find in the middle, the gap, the, the bridge that they need to cross is just somebody who's done it. And if you can surround yourself with enough people who've done it um, and you really do have that belief in yourself, that tenacity, that will, um, the, the, you know, I'm in the middle of writing a new book right now and the, I think the words I used were the difference is character um, over confidence. And many of us have to bridge this gap that we don't have the, you know, we don't have the confidence necessarily to do something because we're not very good at it. Like, you know, you think about where confidence comes from and it really is that uh, it's this thing that we build in ourselves when we get good at something. So then how do we, how do we get confidence if we haven't done it yet? And we need to do it to get the confidence, right? It's such a head fuck, that, that like whole <laughs> thing that we've got to do as people, as kind of entrepreneurs, as uh, boundary pushers, as people who are aspiring to be better than what we are today. And I think really when you look at it, it's a question of character. And um, the words I would use is your character is bigger than your, you know, your confidence really at that time. You, you care more about who you are and what you are capable of and you know, what, what you're about really than potentially getting something wrong or the fear of rejection or just even having to explain to, you know, to a partner or to your wife that you just you know, didn't work out. If your character is strong enough and your character is big enough, um, I think that's more important than you know, your, your kind of, even your confidence at that, uh, at that level and the, you know, the belief yeah. in yourself is what gets exposed. I would say too, like even even as the business has grown, like different challenges have come up, and you know the things you previously crossed off the list as well. Like I got that nailed down. The new challenges yeah. come up, and I think the key is continually make yourself uncomfortable. Like put yourself in situations when you're the little fish, where you're still learning, you're still growing. 
when someone said it, they said, yeah, you can be wrong 50% of the time and still make a fortune. And I really like that quote because it's like, just fail a bunch, just, just do it. Like stop, stop like dilly dallying and just go do it and learn in the process. Cause if you don't fail, you don't know what you need to learn or what comes next. So I'm going to push you on um, a couple of different phases of your business. So I'm going to make this really specific. So you've gone all the way to a million in cash, not to 300 biggest, biggest challenges, best decisions in that period of time. Somebody's listening to this right now. Who's in that not to $300,000 pounds revenue phase. What, what did, what do you have to nail in that, that period? What were the big decisions to get right, to get you through it? In that phase to, to get there, you needed to nail marketing. I mean, that's always going to be the, the piece, but you needed to have uh, who's your avatar? How are you speaking to them? Have you niched down? Like, are you casting too wide a net? Um, which I did at the beginning was like this performance and weightlifting and running and it, it was all over the map. And then we really hyper-focused on the running community. And that's really what allowed us to speak the right way to get to that point. But once we started peaking, speaking to the right avatar and getting our marketing down, then we had an infl- a good thing, an influx of clients. And I remember the thing that held me back in that stage was that I I was scared to hire another PT and scared to hire a front desk because I was looking at uh, just like day-to-day or you know week-to-week projections on cash, and I didn't create a, a longer-term cash flow of how they could pay for themselves once they came into business. I think the thing that tipped the scales for me was once I got an admin, that freed up a lot of my time that I was doing with uh, financial stuff and tracking and calls. Yeah. And that allowed me to be more productive that then got the cash to bring in the PT. But it was really a a, a financial literacy problem, not yeah. so much a um, like I knew I needed to do it, but I needed to see the cash to make it happen because I knew finances were still paying for my family. So, and the reality is, I mean, it's not, it's not that difficult of a calculation. You just need to look at it with a longer term eye than just month on month. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. I I was talking to somebody this morning about this, that really that first phase, I would say marketing and customer service. If you really, if you really nail marketing and customer service and um, you get those two things right, that's the focus of not to 300. That's the foundations with which your business is built on. Then to get into the next phase, this three hundred to nine hundred, I'll I'll come on to your um, you know your thoughts on it. But you touched on it is that finance bridge, and I think as I've again worked with clients over the years and watched this, why why do they get stuck? Why can't they make that next big decision? And you find that round about that three hundred grand mark, the expenses to grow to go next, you've got to hire somebody or two, you've got to possibly increase the premises, you've got to spend more marketing, and it really is a cash flow issue. It's a like you said, a financing issue. It's not necessarily the marketing's not working issue. It's that I haven't allowed for the time that it takes for the dollars to go out, i.e. the soldiers to go for a fight, if you like. Mm-hmm. And then the six months it takes to win the war and actually come back mm-hmm. from putting money behind Google to um, then getting the lead, then doing the follow-up, getting that first treatment. And especially if clients are insurance-based, as you know, it could take you know anything up to six months from that, that initial lead coming through the door to the check-it in the bank six months later from Booper or Medicare or whoever. Then what we really have is a financing issue and what we really have underneath that is an underestimation of the time it takes for the dollars to actually be converted marketing back into to, to profit if you like into cash so so if, if if marketing and customer service is important in that 0 to 300 
finance is the bridge to give yourself the room to grow and, and like you said, financial literacy, uh, literacy or clarity. The phrase I've started using recently at a few events is a professional finance department where you, you just have a good line of sight as to what's happening in your business. You've got a professional PT department, get a professional finance department. So what's the magic between 300,000 uh, 300, and 900,000? What, what, what do you think? Yeah, in that phase, I would say it, it has to come down to people and building your team. Like you have to, you have to get your time back, and you have to have the freedom of thought, time to think, uh, to be able to make the the bigger decisions that are going to move the company forward. And um, it really, it comes down to if you have the marketing's working, and you know you have regular sales training, you know you can bring people into the practice. But then it's more, can they stick? Uh, I think you see some, you know, as you bring in clinicians, you might see some drop-offs. You might see some because it's not the guy anymore. It's not the person who started the business. You have to really um, th- those personal connections now have to be developed in a totally new person. Yeah. that hasn't built them over the years. And so that's where you have to almost like, it's like transfer your ethos like into uh, the people of the practice. And it's not even, yeah, here's here's the thing you need to do. Here's the, um, you know, the KPIs, here's the structure for the day. It's more the core values of the practice. What made it grow in the first place? It's how you make people feel. If you can instill that in other people and you give them objective clarity on exactly what their role is and what the outcomes are, yeah, that's where you get the time and you get the resources to grow practice without that. You're it's like bank it today, bank it tomorrow, uh, tomorrow. If you're constantly, hey, if I see a couple more evals this week, I can make X amount of money. If you continue to play that game, you'll never grow because it's it's just a, a losing battle. There's only so much time. And at some point you have to make the decision to say, I'm going to bring in somebody else and I might have to accept yeah. less performance than I can produce myself in the effort to scale this and grow this further. Yeah, I think the challenge for many, as I've watched it go from three to nine, 300,000 to 900, is they tried to do what they did in the first three. So in the first $300,000, it's personality-based and it's people-based, really people-based, which you know it always is going to be. But the problem is you can't always scale people's personalities. And I think that's what tries to happen is we rely upon, that's when you hear people, I'm worried about my rock star PT or my superstar PT leaving. What they're really saying there is they're worried about their personality walking out the door. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the, you know, if you pushed me on it, and I hope nobody's listening, but if you kind of pushed me on it and you said, right, who, who would be the one I would be worried about? The only one I'd be worried about leaving would be the marketer of the company because really, the responsibility for the lead generation and the customer generation falls upon the marketing department's door. And if my marketing and sales process works, then I really don't have to rely upon the personality of any individual. And I always say the you know the idea is, if Paul Goff Physio Rooms can survive without me touching a patient for nine years and still make money to this day, literally like right down below me is patients walking in and out of an office. If it can still make money to this day, um, it, it doesn't have to rely upon any individual and any personality. And I think that's where, again, I think people are, st- are trying too hard to rely upon personalities, which is fine. I'm not saying don't put personalities into businesses. I'm not saying don't hire good, fun people. I'm saying what you need in the end is, is a process-driven business. That If that's... Um, you know, if you don't achieve that, you're always at the mercy of a personality that you might have to keep for longer than you wanted, or B, when they walk out the door inevitably because they want too much money or they just move across country, then you know you lose with it. You know, the the, the patients, the referrals, the Rolodex, if you like. When what we needed more than anything was a referral process from lead generation, Google, Facebook, newspapers, doctors, whatever it would be, doesn't matter who the treatment is, as long as they're competent, as long as they're fun, as long as they're polite, and you're not going to not hire these people anyway. Um, my 
theory on where people are getting stuck is that is that you're the master of processes and probably as good as anybody I've ever seen. And it's no coincidence that you you breeze through that you know that 300 other than probably COVID for a little bit, which you know most people got a little kind of stuck. It was just a constant mm-hmm. climb for you all the way to a million. Yeah, and I would say it's you know as much uh, me. It's probably more my staff, like having the right people that are more organized than I am. I might have the you know the ideas and the the you know higher level you know outlook on what the situation yeah. is, but they're you know organizational masters and they uh, keep me in check a lot of times. <laughs> so it is, but you need to have a system in the first place, and you need to have uh, like the whole customer lifecycle from initial contact all the way through. Each person needs to know their role and know the number or a couple numbers that they're directly responsible for. Yeah, love it. So and, what, le- and what levers to move to change those numbers. Uh, what's the challenges? What have you run into as you look to be less involved in the business? The challenges are always, uh, one, legacy clients, people that I've had literally since day one that know my family, know my kids. Um, I, think, I think that personal connection sometimes is so strong that you don't know uh, you don't know if someone wants to change because they're they're so attached to you. But we've yeah. navigated that through multiple conversations, uh, sending them emails about the growth of the practice. Really, it's I think someone at CEO said it that really they're as excited about the growth of competitive edges as I am yeah. because they were there when it was one table and a squat yeah. rack and <laughs> you know not much going on and they've seen it grow and seen the family grow and. I think as long as you tell that story, I think things are okay. But that's, you know, that's an initial struggle. But then, you know, as you begin to step out, I think my uh, my thing becomes what are the priorities of everybody else that needs to replace what I was doing within the clinic and replace, uh, you know, the the things that I was managing. So ops manager, uh, people need to have more decision autonomy. So here are the here's the outcome. Uh, you know, if you need a big decision made, I'll make it. But in general, to go faster, you guys can make these decisions and we'll talk about, you know, whether it was a good decision, you know, uh, a decision that maybe could have been different um, and creating that decision autonomy and what are the, the boundaries to it so that the company can move faster. I think those are those are the places we've, um, you know, we've worked on as a team to make that happen. Did you notice any change in staff then as you as you started to pull out? Obviously, now, you, you know, you're working on other projects. You've got the franchise opportunity. You're not in mm-hmm. the office as much. Your attention isn't there maybe as much as it was when uh it was your only baby um Mm -hmm. what about staff did you feel anything notice anything i I would say in the past we've maybe had some situations where um previous staff that i didn't set the expectation correct that they maybe saw me pulling out as um working less hard or um, not contributing uh to the hard work at the practice i think that uh, might have been the case. And I think this time I've had staff around three, four years and they've seen, you know, what we've been trying to do and seeing that the practice uh, growth potential and, and really we have this, this such a cool business that we want to share with the world and they see that and they know that the only way that's going to happen is if I get some time and they, you know, we can all work together with me having a level head and being able to make connections. And so they see they see the vision. I think that was my learning. Yeah. I needed to yeah. share that in a, in a better way. And rather than, hey, I am, uh, I'm going to be, quote unquote, working from home. I mean, I'm always working. That's ridiculous. But, I'm, you know, I think people thought like, well, what's Kevin doing? Is he at his house? Is he, you know, I th- and I think that's where my confidence, my ability to sell the vision. And then honestly, just an amazing staff of people, just just great people that are there that support me, that see my family, that see where the practice can go, that the buy in that, you know, we're doing something special. I think that's really the magic that happens over time. And it's just me being a better communicator, learning how to do that over time. I've just wrote this down. I think there's one word that goes with 
and this you know this is massively overlooked and should be spoken about a bit more but when a practitioner wants to step back from patient care the word is guilt they feel guilty that um they're not doing anything or that somebody's looking at them thinking that they're not doing anything or that now they're having to explain to their wife or their husband or partner why they're not treating patients anymore. What do you mean you sit in an office now? What do you mean you can work from Starbucks? What do you mean you can go to the beach? What do you mean you can like go to a library and just kind of work wherever you want? You're, you're thinking. <laughs> and this is the bit. Right? This but it's is valuable. The this yeah. is, it, well, there's nothing more valuable. All of the your life, the quality of your life is and is resembling the quality of your thinking, right? No wonder most people's lives is a shit show, right? If I'm allowed to say that, because there is no thinking going on. It's just it's just busy, 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 busy. You do, yeah. Absolutely, there isn't any time for thinking. Like quite literally, and I'm not being disrespectful. I know that because people are making bad decisions day after day after day, and the quality of their life, whether they'll admit it privately or publicly, the quality of people's lives. If you push most people, it is not where they want it to be, and it is representing really the out the outer world, the, the you know the conditions of their life is just a, a, a reflection of the thinking that's going on. And I think it's an important topic for people listening to understand that as you grow the business, you've got to get over that feeling of uh, guilt very very quickly because the highest value work that you'll ever do as a business owner is thinking. Now you can't leave it at the thinking level, and you've got to come in and execute. But really. Um, the thing that will separate you from your competitors is your creativity, and your creativity comes from your thinking. And uh, I remember when I left private uh, private practice, left care basically. And I, I, again, I'm probably in this this building, right? So my Hartlepool office is downstairs, and I'm on the floor here with all my now media business staff, and they're all coming and going. But I look around and I think, God, oh, I had a little office in that area there. It didn't look anything like this today. It's all our KPIs on the on the board here um, behind me. The patients. Vicky would often be asked, where's Paul? Oh, he's upstairs. And I'd come in and I, you know, I'd say hello sometimes because I was needing something from the office downstairs. And they'd be like, oh, what are you doing upstairs? You come down to get another coffee, put your feet up. And, you know, like that's what they think you do, right? Because like that's the way that they've, they, they just believe, you know, what's the whole, the old adage is, you know, you have to work hard if you want to make it in this life. It's like, you don't mm-hmm. like, there's a little bit of grunt work goes on at the beginning, but like, it's actually, you want to think hard and then do a little bit of the, the kind of whatever the thinking um, generates. And I do think from a business on it, uh, most of them, most of the businesses that I've watched get stuck who can't step back from care. They have what I would call an identity crisis that all of a sudden they can't cope with their new role. They, the, the role that they know as a PT is the only one that they know and it creates drama and it creates conflict in their life because they, they know it. They know that role and if you take that role away from them, they don't know what to do. Like they, they don't know how to live. Their identity is wrapped up in being a PT. And um, even though the, the income potential as a business owner or as a CEO is 10 times and the freedom potential is 10 times bigger than ever any PT or any Cairo or any insert the blank dentist can ever get from treating patients all day there's a reluctance um there's a reluctance to do it i think yeah uh, you know at, during that transition as you learn you're you're probably doing uh you should be doing a lot less tactical stuff but it's not nearly at the beginning is gratifying because you're not checking as many daily task yeah. boxes but the things you are doing are much bigger and they might require multiple days of thinking multiple steps uh, and the end result is much better but in the moment it feels like well that hour, you know, you see a patient, you have a tactical result. I think yep. you just have to change your your strategy, your mind from thinking very tactically to thinking strategically, and that that is a transition as you as you move over from direct care. I think the big one as well that we have to get over always is we get used to every 
30 minutes, 45, 60 minutes, however long your sessions are, you're used to generating a charge. And it's difficult when you sit down to write an email marketing funnel to kind of mentally understand how much you've just been paid for for that hour. When, you know, you're writing four hours worth of emails, you will get paid a lot of money eventually. But it will take time for that money to come back in. And I think that delayed gratification is a is a gift. And again, from what I've watched with business owners, the ones the ones who make it across that that no man's land of I want to be a business owner, but I'm kind of still stuck treating patients. The ones who, who are stuck halfway, they can't get their head past that. They, they, they get paid. They get paid for what they kill. If you like today, you know they, they, they eat what they kill. Is the you know the sale the says uh, saying in phrase in sales, but. In our world, we've got to get into high leverage activity, high value activity, which might take weeks and months before we actually get paid. And again, I have full admiration for business owners, you know, people who are stepping back from the day to day of their business, because that's the reality of the world that we live in. It's got to take so much confidence and belief, um, certainty in what you're doing, good direction, good people around you, guiding you around other people who are doing the, I'm stepping back, I'm just as frightened as you. Like all of these things, these little pieces, yeah. it's like battleships, I guess. You're kind of lining your, you know, your pieces up that if you've got them, you can fire the gun and you know off you go yeah it's very much a, a you know a process but you just have to make the decision to say i'm i'm doing this this is what's best i'll figure it out as i go yeah. um have the confidence and like you said i think self-belief that this is the right decision and you'll get the confidence later fail forward win or learn two beautiful friends biggest lessons you've learned um about your leadership style and sort of managing people what would you what would you say how have you evolved over the last six years yeah, I would say I've had a, a strong background in leadership and I've always geared uh, or leaned towards more of a mentor leader, being there on the like support side of the matrix, um, being able to help people through problems, help when they get stuck, uh, talk through talk through issues. That's always been a fairly strong side of my leadership, I feel. And as time has gone on and I've needed people to be um, you know, reach their potential to be as, as autonomous as they can be. I've definitely needed more of the accountability candor side of my leadership to be able to be um, direct, to be able to have set objectives, to kind of corral my own thinking, to give a, um, the right outcome and not be so scatterbrained of like, oh, I want all these things, but I can't focus. Yeah. And so... Uh, as you get great people on your team and as you develop systems uh, operating within that system to make sure that you're setting the, the direction of the ship, uh, you have the right outcomes in place and then you have the right accountability and scorecard conversations to make um, to make as much success as possible. So I think that's where my leadership has had to change over time is giving people the trust, the autonomy, letting them do more in the business, things that typically you know, I would be uh, initially terrified to not yeah. touch things like finance, um, you know, putting money in the bank account, moving money around, but having the right systems and people to say, no, like I like that's something that you can do that, you know, is going to free up my time in this area of the business. Um, but, yeah, it needed to move more towards the accountability candor, but still with high support, high challenge, high support. Learning that balance, I think, is um, something that takes time. But you just have to get at it. And one on one conversations, staff meetings, quarterlies, annuals make a huge difference in keeping everybody rowing in the same direction. Um, three things I'm going to push you. Give me two or three things that what are the attributes, skills or just characteristics that you think make the, the best business owners? What do you need? Integrity. Like you just have to. You have to do what you say. Uh, you know, don't don't. I, I don't like the phrase like uh, "do as I say, not as I do." Like walk the walk. Be there with your team. Um, I think you have to have tenacity. Like you definitely have to be willing to to push when you need to push, but also the tenacity to 
seek out experts, seek out mentors, seek out continual learning. You know, identifying yourself as a lifelong learner versus someone that says, I mean, I could I could say, well, hey, I've been successful. I'm good here. But that's not going to satisfy me for the rest of my life. You know, I'm looking for the next challenge. Um, And honestly, I think I think the last part uh, is you have to have trust. I think you have to trust the people around you. If, if you're always scared that someone's trying to stiff you or people are out to get you or people aren't going to be as good as you or the situation they're treating is not going to be as good. If you don't have that trust, there's no way that you're going to be able to develop a team that's going to give you the freedom to grow a business. And um, honest conversations, good conversations, supporting people when they need it, pushing people when they need it. I think that all comes from having a trust-filled relationship. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think all roads lead back to trusting yourself. Definitely. That the ability to trust somebody else comes from the ability to um, to trust yourself. I always remember, I love your story about uh, learning as well. And you can just tell, you know, I, I do think life is, I mean, it's, you know, there's challenges and there's certain things go on and, you know, health issues that are just going to strike you from behind or blindside you. Like, take all of that off the table. Other than that, I think people make it a lot more difficult for themselves because they just don't commit to learning. And, you know, there'll be, candidly, there'll be people listening to this podcast who for 10 years have done their own thing and haven't done much and really haven't been around smart people and, you know, haven't really committed to growth genuinely. Um, and yet, the people that are winning in business they've got one thing in common they're committed to learning it isn't just at the podcast level at the book level it's the I'm, I'm going to action some of this stuff I'm going to make some mistakes I'm going to eat some crap I'm going to get me heartbroken I'm going to fail forward I'm going to smash into a wall that I didn't even know was there and I'm going to pick myself up tomorrow and I'm going to you know I'm going to go again and um, you know it, it isn't really that difficult to spot the behavior patterns of the people who are successful an example, a story a few years back, um, a member of my family uh, saw me reading a, a book on confidence and said, um, why are you reading a book on confidence? You've got lots of confidence. I said, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Like, could you guess why? Like, because I read about this stuff. So like, it, it's that's the reason I've got the, the you know, the, the confidence, if you like, because I'm studying it and I'm, I'm like obsessing over it. If I want to be good at something, like I want to know what, what other people have done. What is the best way to make your, um, you know, way forward? People always say, learn from your mistakes. I'd wager that the best way to learn is not from your own mistakes. It's from somebody else's. Ideally, yeah. leverage somebody else's mistakes, not your own. Hence, be around other people. You know, I, I love the value of CEO, and I Amazing. said it actually last week on the on the present in my slides at Clearwater last week, in front of 150 of my own clients. I said, I love holding CEO because I've genuinely become a better business owner because I get to watch the 10 people every you know, or 45 people, 12 people in a group or whatever <laughs> it is every three months, and all of the mistakes that everyone's made. And I'm like, okay, cool, I'm writing that one down. <laughs> it's like. I I get to look at it but equally we've all got that you know I, I'm just kind of in the position to get paid to, to kind of watch everybody else to uh, you know make the mistakes but it's because of that that we've you know all put ourselves in positions that we get to learn from other people's mistakes and therefore we hopefully when we fail we either fail faster or we fail and get back up sooner and you know we're all, we're all going to make mistakes but that's really what separates us I think I think that's the last phrase like fail faster my things I've had to learn is I tend to want things buttoned up and, 
you know, and I can be like, I want this to come out perfect. And whether it's an ego thing or like, if I'm going to put this out and my name's behind it and I needed to be just so, and yeah. over time that's changed to where it's like, no, just get it out and figure out what's wrong. And, but I, you had to learn to be that uncomfortable. You have to learn to um, accept failure as part of the learning process, because if you don't, you don't move fast enough yeah. and you end up waiting and building this amazing thing that then doesn't fly. Yeah. Um, and you, and you had one shot instead of having 20 shots in the same process. So let's go into the CEO boardroom. What's the best thing you've learned as a CEO member in the last three years now? I think you've been in the program. What's the What, what have you got from it? How has it helped you? Well, there's lots of things. I don't know if I can distill it down to one thing. I feel like every time I go, I have like 18 pages of notes that take an entire six-hour flight back to California to distill down. Remember, I remember that. telling you this, right? I remember the day you signed up for CEO. You called and said, well, it's, is it, are they all in Orlando? And I said, Why isn't it in Las Vegas? It's supposed yeah, to be in Vegas. you said. That's right. You said, why isn't it in Vegas? I said, look, it's in Orlando. And I said, but that's good for you, right? And, you know, I immediately turned it. So this was my, you know, Paul in his, in his sales and objections <laughs> handling mode. I said, but that's good for you, Kevin, because you're the lucky one, right? And now you're thinking, eh, how, how am I lucky? Like all these other suckers are like an hour away or whatever. I said, you're the lucky one because you get all day the next day on a flight to be able to digest and summarize all of the things that you've just yeah. learned in those two days. And it's always the day after that is the most important in these meetings. Yeah, it, it definitely has been valuable on the flight home to have that dedicated constricted time, if you will. You can't distract yourself too much. But uh, in terms of lessons, I mean, there's lots. Systems, for sure. I think if you don't have systems within your business, systems for sales, marketing, recruitment, hiring, uh, KPIs, meeting rhythm, if you don't have that, there's no way you can scale a practice. Um, you only have what you're able to push, you know, really hard to do so. I think the other thing is knowing that you're the business owner, like just having confidence that this this has to serve you and your family. If you're just in business to make money, that's, that's not enough. You're gonna drive yourself crazy and not have time. You have to create a structure where you're in the most optimal environment for thinking, learning, growth, potential, leading people, but also be able to go home at five o'clock at night, have dinner with the kids and not be a jerk and not be, you know, thinking about you know, all these different things and distracted, uh, but to be able to stay focused, creating that life is within your control. The business does not have to control you. And then finally, I think uh, I've said it throughout is um, leveraging people. I think that's the scariest thing people have is hiring your first employee and then, you know, hiring maybe when the finances aren't exactly there yet, but the trust that the long game is going to win out um, and getting that hiring process right takes time. But you definitely need to leverage yeah. the the power of having a synergistic team. I think that's if I had to distill those things, I think that's what got me from where I was to where I needed to go. Systems first, then the people and then, um, you know, the ability to trust them to push harder, make decisions. Fantastic. So I'm going to push you on this. Um, what I think, and I said it earlier, is probably the most exciting franchise opportunity that I've seen. And I get wind of a lot of these types of uh, things. So tell me about Competitive Edge PT um, and the opportunity for anybody listening to this podcast to uh, potentially get on board with what you're doing. Um, look, there's no suggestion at all that you will also be a seven-figure clinic. However, um, it's it's the, the model is proven, right? And this is what I love about what Kevin has done. He's genuinely gone out there. Um, he's built his own uh, not to seven figures, um, all cash practice around the running industry. And so successful has it been. Uh, and I've been in the room and you know, kind of been around when this little idea 
idea was kind of introduced a few years back that there was a clamor of people wanting to know how he did it and kind of get on board with with you know what is happening over there so we're at that point now and people are obviously getting in touch and i know you you know you're kind of really starting to grow this uh, franchise side of the business now so tell us a little bit more about that and then you know where people can get in touch and find out more information about it from you yeah, for sure. So competitive edge PT, uh, it's, it's a it's a unique model in the sense that we have such a niche population in the running and sports community. And that's typically a place where you have to be at a research lab or you have to be part of a um, research university. And it's very lab oriented with the tech. And so they get the they get the data right, but they don't get the customer service people side right. And what we've done over the years is we've really hammered out the marketing, the sales, the systems to be able to reach out to that niche population that are starving for uh, data, for analysis. I mean, that Apple Watch, Garmin Watch, everybody's tracking fitness data. And we've been able to take that model and bring it into a cash-based physical therapy world where you're able to make PT fun. It's very different from, uh, you know, a standard practice. Here you have TVs and tablets and bar graphs and sensors it's super fun for clients and we've had you know tons of great reviews and basically we've been able to take that and create a system of operation that allows that business to thrive uh, in terms of the google ads the facebook marketing the community marketing how to get in touch with uh, local teams and running clubs and triathlon clubs how to build your sales pipeline that targets that niche avatar of runners and triathletes. And then finally, how to take them through a full plan of care, how to optimize your finances. We've done all that and buttoned it up. So it's plug and play for each member of staff and for a business. And we're excited to share that with people that want uh, either an investment opportunity as a second business or someone that's looking to be an entrepreneur, thinking about starting a business, loves running, wants to get involved in a population that's probably going to continue to run and continue to grow as people get healthy and stay healthy. And uh, they're looking for a way to go fast, not have to recreate the wheel, learn all the things I did, um, you know, go all the conferences and and spend the years growing a business. We have a plug and play model that can get you going fast and quickly. Plus you're going to get the support of me and my staff. One of the reasons I want to do this is I love being a mentor for my current staff, but I also want to be a mentor to help other people grow their businesses. So those people that, you know, come on early to our franchise system, you're going to get me, you're going to get my full attention, you're going to get my full passion, yeah. and we're going to work together to do do something special. I love it. And anybody listening, I've known Kevin five, six years, and I can tell you I've not, I'll be careful of, of the, the phrase I use, but there's not many that I've met um, that I wouldn't just want to hang around with. He's the most just decent, honest, kind, just good all-round guy i would trust him with everything i've got and i couldn't give him a higher endorsement than telling you that that if you're even remotely interested in what he is doing uh, reach out to him and have a conversation it's a great opportunity he's gone through the school of hard knocks for you already and um he really really is a good guy when it comes to uh, how much he cares about his team and his people and um the time he commits to his uh to his extended family shall we call it um not just his not just his rather large family um that i my family's uh, I've I've also got to throw in that people might not have picked up on the fact that Kevin does all of this, travels all over the US to these events and runs his own seven-figure business and a franchise as well as raising five kids. Um, That's my wife. She gets gets most of the credit. I I would not be able to do it without her. (laughs) (laughs) But he really is a good... uh, It's just just an inspiring story. It's just just amazing uh, what he's doing, uh, what he's done and what his plans are for the future. So if you're looking to get on board and, um, you know, 
get behind and underneath on the ground floor with whatever you want to call it um, a business that's already taken off and get in early probably while it's very cheap I would imagine uh, at this point if I'm allowed to say it it's certainly not going to get cheaper anytime uh, soon but get involved and at the very least reach out to Kevin and have a conversation uh, with him Kevin where or what's the best place for them to, to start how can they get hold of yeah, him yeah they can email Kevin at compedgept.com you can send me a DM on Instagram Kevin Vandy PT uh, you can you know private message me on Facebook lots of ways to, to get a hold uh, um, yeah definitely we can share those in the notes and uh, if you want to meet me in person a little plug for Paul come to the event in October I will have a booth you can come hang out ask questions I'd love to meet y'all fantastic yeah kevin will be there talking about his franchise but there as a as a student as well and uh, you know that's what I, I love about kevin he'll probably be running between the uh, seminar hall and out the back to, to one eye this way friends. one eye that yeah. way is that right you're bringing one of your children you're bringing one of your kids yeah yeah i want to bring jack yeah he, he wants if you're if you're if the uh, kids club ah, is there it. uh you know kids i think he's done. an aspiring entrepreneur so i'm excited to bring him kids, teach him about business involved well, the family with the growth of the brand. Absolutely. Get him on the stall and talking to clients, like get him talking to potential customers. You know what I mean? How good how good would that be that he gets to not only work the stall, if you like, work the booth, mm-hmm. go in and listen to Damon John and uh, James Lawrence, obviously running. You know, you're going to have, yeah. and that's why I think it's a great event for you because you're going to, uh, it will attract naturally runners uh, yeah. who want to get close to, to James I'm Lawrence. I'm excited to meet him. Yeah, for sure. Me, Someone me I've too. followed. Me too, very, very much. And obviously the kids club going on for a few days as well as a babysitting service for you um, that allows you just to let your hair down a little bit on the Friday and Saturday night. So where can we get the guide? I can see that we've put a guide. Um, you've got it in the chat, haven't you? Runningptguide.pg. Have, yeah. have we got an easy link for that, Macy, or should we just put that in the in the show notes? What's the Well, people can reach out to you, can get it, can't they? Re- reach out to Kevin. I don't even yeah. want to start reading out, well, com- what is it? Competitive edge dash <laughs> yeah. physical dash therapy dot l pages dot course we definitely need to fix that one we'll (laughs) We'll fix that one but just to know that if you are listening and you want just reach out um, to me yeah there's a there's a guide basically on how i started a running based cash practice and how you uh, if you're interested in learning about running biomechanics and learning about creating that niche uh, you know, authority and niche uh, expert level status in your town. Uh, that guy's going to help you get started. I'd love to send that over to you. Amazing. All right, Kevin, uh, you're an absolute superstar. Uh, congratulations. And uh, I'm genuinely excited for what's to come for you over the next few years. Thank you very much, Paul. This is exciting. Thank you. Thank Great you. to have you. Thank you. Yep. Cheers, Kevin. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Paul Goff's audio experience. If you're brand new to Paul's world, head on over to paulsmarketingbook.com where you can get started with his number one best-selling marketing book for physical therapists. Or if you've been listening to the show for a while, you like what you hear and you think that you could benefit from this type of help to accelerate the growth and profitability of your practice, reach out to Paul's team at paul at paulgoff.com and tell us exactly what you're looking for. And by the way, if you know someone who would benefit from today's show, please share it with them. And if you've got any questions that you want answered, tweet Paul at the Paul Goff using the hashtag AskPG. You can also find all of these details over in today's show notes. All right, until next time, have a wonderful day.